Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Winston Preparatory School is a leading school network for students with learning disabilities. Learn more about Winston Prep and register for an open house at www.winstonprep.edu. Hola, and welcome back to the show today, 203-333-9422. Joining us now is Dr. Adam Mastriani, who is an experimental psychologist, author of the science blog, Experimental History. And I was very intrigued by a recent op-ed that he wrote in the New York Times called, Your Brain Has Tricked You Into Thinking Everything Is Worse. Uh, Professor Mastriani, hello. Welcome to the show today. Hi. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for having me. So you only went to Princeton, Harvard, and Oxford. Is there any place else? Did I miss any great university on the planet that you might not have attended? <laughs> uh, I, just, I just finished a teaching job at, uh, at Columbia. I'm just, okay. I'm just good at jumping through hoops. That's my, my big skill. Where did you grow up, Adam? Where did you grow up? Uh, I, I grew up in Monroeville, Ohio, which is actually where I am right now visiting my parents. It's a town of 1,400 people about an hour west of Cleveland, uh, kind of middle of nowhere. Literally, the middle of nowhere. What is that, the Rust Belt or something like that? I don't know what they call that in Ohio. That must be a really have been, in retrospect, a very interesting place to have come from, given, you know, the sort of elite academic society in which you've immersed yourself as a grown-up. Yeah, I mean, when, uh, you know, I came from this small town, and when I showed up uh, to my first day of college, I was living in a quad with uh, one guy who went on to lead the Christian Students Association, one guy who went on to lead the Muslim Students Association, one guy who was a Jewish atheist, and I was nominally Catholic. So it <laughs> sounded like it sounds like the setup of a bad joke, but instead it ends with all of us uh, being close friends. Yeah, of course. That's the point of college, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't that yeah, the point yeah. to expand your worldview? That's why when these kids choose their roommates from people they went to camp with, I'm like, you're missing the big picture here. Like, that's not the point. I don't know what's wrong with you. Anyway, so, Adam, you wrote this fabulous article. Your brain has tricked you into thinking everything is worse. I've always suspected that. And I know that you didn't hear, but I actually opened the show with talking about a book that changed my life called The Science of Fear. I don't know if you ever read it, hmm. but it was a brilliant no. book. About, it was a brilliant book about how our brain will take one anecdotal news story 
and blow it up into thinking that that very same thing could happen to us and Mm -hmm. making social policy and decisions about how long people should stay in jail or whether we should have gates on our community, whether we should be afraid of our neighbors based on, and this example was in Petaluma, California, a child abduction, which was a terrible thing, but a very statistically remote thing that could happen. And I thought that was a little bit like a little bit like what you were talking about, what we've discovered about our brain, how we generalize, but we're not always right. Yeah. I mean, one way to think about it is, you know, the world has nearly 8 billion people in it. And so every day someone is going to be doing something outrageous. And that's not really, a, I mean, it, it is a new story to the people affected by it, but it's also inevitable. You know, someone is going to kill someone else. Someone's going to tell a lie. Someone's going to steal something. All of those things are bad, but with so many people in the world, they're also inevitable. And so the fact that they're happening doesn't necessarily tell you much about the state of the world around you and certainly not whether things are changing. You can't tell whether things are getting better or worse by looking out your window. Um, you, You just don't see enough of the world to be able to make that kind of judgment. And you also can't really tell by reading a news headline because the news headlines, by definition, center on those extraordinary moments. Right, exactly. And part of what they imply is this is unprecedented, that this is new, that uh, this is somehow unique and worse than things that have come before. Um, and And so it creates the sense that we always live in this unique period of crisis. But that's kind of just what it feels like to be alive. Um, so the things that are happening now, all the bad stuff that's happening 50 years from now, people will look back and go, oh, they had it so easy because all of their problems were very straightforward and simple. Things turned out fine. We today have the real problems because we don't know how these are going to turn out. Um, they're all unique and worse. Um, I think about this uh, uh, I, was, I was watching the the White House Plumbers, which is like a, a comedy dramatization of the um, uh, the Watergate uh, scandal. Yeah. I'm like, that was really bad. You know, the, the president knew about an attempt to break into the political offices of his enemies. Uh, but we look back at the time and go, ah, man, things were simpler back then. That was just some, you know, some down home subterfuge uh, and spying. Whereas today we've really got the nasty people doing the actual bad thing. Um, and I think that's just because things that are in the past, they feel distant from us. They, they don't affect us today. And so they don't feel like they're as bad as the things that we are experiencing today. So you talk about the set. You said, you, I believe there's a bug, a set of cognitive biases in people's brains that causes them to perceive a fall from grace, even when it hasn't happened. And you referenced this survey that you did. Tell us about the survey. So we did a bunch of studies on this. So the the first part of our work was establishing the fact that people all over the world believe that people are less kind than they used to be, less friendly, less ethical, less civil. Um, We find this in every single country that's ever been surveyed. We find that people think this has been happening their whole lives. They think it's still happening today. Um, And in the second part, we go looking for any evidence that people are right. And obviously, there's no objective measure of, of how people treat one another in their everyday lives. But there actually is a lot of data on this where people have been asked for decades, were you treated with respect all day yesterday? Have you done various nice things for another person within the past month, like looked after their pets while they're away or done volunteer work for charity? Um, or have people done those things for you? Um, do you think people can be trusted? How would you rate the kindness of people today? 
And on all of these surveys over and over again, we see flat lines, no change, um, sometimes for decades. And then in the third part, we ask, okay, well, if it's impossible or really difficult to find any evidence that what people claim is true, why might they think it? And we think there are many reasons, but two are especially important. One is what we call bias exposure, which we are talking about, that uh, mainly what you hear about people you don't know is that they're bad. So every day you look out on the world that's just beyond your personal world, and it looks like it's filled with bad people. And the second is bias memory. So we know from memory research that the badness of bad memories fades faster than the goodness of good memories. That's so, it. for instance, exactly. Yes. So uh, in these studies, they have people keep track of you know things that happened to you, rate how good or bad each one is, and then come back sometime later. And how does it make you feel now? And obviously, both bad and good they feel less potent, uh, you know, a month later, four months later, four years later than they did at the time. But the bad memories lose their sting faster than the good memories lose their glow. And if you put these two phenomena together, you can create this illusion where every day it looks like the world is bad. But every day you have this sensation that the world yesterday wasn't so bad. But if we had asked you yesterday, you would have told us the exact same thing. Wow. So let me just focus on that. So you're saying over time, we actually remember good better than we remember the bad, that the bad fades? Yes. So uh, one way to think about this as an example is if you got turned down for your high school prom, that, that feels pretty bad in the moment. But 20 years later, when you look back on it, it's maybe a funny story. Maybe you think, uh, oh, I dodged a bullet. You know, I found my true love. Whereas if you had a great high school prom, feels good in the moment, 20 years later, it's, you know, maybe a nice memory, not as good as it felt at the time. Uh, and, and this is what we find that happens to people's memories on average. The bad ones, some of them flip and become good. On average, they become less bad. But the good ones, uh, they lose some of their goodness, but not as much. And that's because we have all of these motivated things that we do with bad memories. We reframe, we rationalize, we distance ourselves from them. All of that removes the sting of the bad memories, which we don't do for good things that happen. Um, so this is why, uh, you know, Watergate kind of feels like almost a funny story now, where as if it happened today, uh, it would feel outrageous. Um, whereas the good things that happened in history, we don't need to rationalize, reframe, downgrade them, downplay them. Um, and so they can still feel uh, more good. Uh, or, or keep more of their goodness than than the bad events do. So it sounds to me like it's a pretty healthy adaptation. We're chatting with Adam Mastriani, a brilliant, brilliant writer, professor, uh, that uh, it sounds to me like it's a pretty healthy adaptation that we reframe the bad things and we rationalize and we say to ourselves, well, in the long run, that decision didn't look right then, but look how my life turned out and it's a good thing. Uh, it sounds like it's yes. a healthy thing, right, for people? Yes, exactly. It's good that the mind works this way. Um, mm -hmm. And you can see what happens when it doesn't. When, um, when we fail to do this with a bad memory, those, those are what become traumas. Those are the things that continue to affect us for the rest of our, our lives. And you can see the toll that it takes on people when memories work that way. So it's good that for most people, most of the time, we are able to take these bad things that happen to us uh, and disarm them, basically. The unfortunate thing, the side effect, is that it can create this illusion that, you know, actually the past didn't have as many bad things in it. Um, because see. when I remember back to it, there's just not as much bad there. Mm. Um, it also seems like the, these two phenomena can also produce 
the opposite illusion when you mainly encounter good memories. So we ran a study where we asked people, um, tell us how kind, honest, nice and good people in general are today. Uh, what were they like 15 years ago? And now what about the people that you know personally? Tell us what they're like today and then tell us what they were like 15 years ago. What people told us was people in general today are less kind than they were in the past, but people I know are kinder. Wow. And this makes sense. So we put this, we have a model in the paper that sort of explains this, but um, if you mainly encounter positive information, you can reverse this illusion. So things that seem really good, can you can mistakenly think they're getting better and things that seem like they're bad, you can mistakenly think they're getting worse. So everyone, it's as if everyone is standing on their island going, my island is great and getting better. It's all the other islands out there that are getting worse. But on all those other islands, those people are saying the same thing. So somebody's got to be wrong. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So... Yeah. Well, I mean, I always like to actually go back to facts and data. I mean, it's very interesting to chat with you, Adam Mastriani, because that explains the potency of a nostalgia craze, right? Nostalgia in and of itself becomes it becomes a whole industry. Uh, But also, I think it has to do with when the memories were formed. And so, for example, in your childhood, right, which NPR calls the longest, shortest time, which I love. I love that phrase, the longest, shortest time, <laughs> yeah. because because there was an elasticity to our childhood. Maybe it was only 10 or 15 years, but it seems like it was forever. The imprints, the imprints are there forever. So um, if we had a basically decent, happy childhood, we have this frame of reference that they were better, simpler times because we were treated like children, and if we were loved and people were kind to us, they were better, simpler times, even though the adults <laughs> at that time may have been grappling with, you know, their own real challenges and life, life, lifespans that were shorter and people that came home damaged from wars. But if we were kids yeah. and we were treated well, we remember that as a better time. Yeah, Um so uh, and it would make total sense if um, this illusion that we see or this perception that people have that people are less kind now, if there was like a big dip around when people turn 18, that they that they were like, you know, people seem really good. And then I became an adult and all of a sudden mm. they seemed worse. Um, we actually don't really see that. What we see is uh, people saying that, you know, people are, are the least kind today. They were kinder when I was 20 and they were the kindest when I was born. But when you ask them, okay, what about 20 years before you were born, 40 years before you were born? Uh, They say, oh, people were just as good then. So it's a flat line. I get born. And then for the rest of my (laughs) life, there's a decline. 
And so wow. basically, things got worse when I arrived on Earth. And do you think, Adam, that that is because as we grow up, we do read the news, we do, we do imbibe current events around us, and so we, you know, we absorb these negative messages every single day? I think that's part of it. So I think uh, encountering a lot of bad news um, helps drive this. But I don't think you, you need to open a newspaper or turn on a TV to get the impression that everyone I don't know is bad. Because this is, this is also what people gossip about. When people talk about, to each other about people that they don't have a direct connection with, usually it's to share something bad that those people did. So even when you're talking about, you know, someone on the other side of town, you go, oh, yeah, they don't keep their house up as nice as they used to. Or like, you know, the person in charge of town um, isn't doing as great of a job as the kind of people that we used to have in charge. Um, what's, what's especially interesting about uh, that effect where people say things got worse after I got here is that it doesn't matter when you got here. So we have people take our studies who are different ages. And so people say this who are 60 years old. They say this who are 20 years old. And so it's also not just that we've all heard that like, oh, the 50s were a great time. And everyone says, you know, the 50s were great and things were worse since then. It's people saying, no, everything was great until the year that I was born. And then after that, things started to get worse, which I think is, is a piece of evidence that this is, this is driven by people's experiences and memories rather than, you know, some kind of cultural narrative that we have, that everyone's just heard that there was some kind of time when people were good to one another. People also say that things are worse even compared to four years ago. So, uh, so people still think that this is happening today. Well, I'm going to give you a little bit. Let me just play devil's advocate with Adam, with Adam Mastriani. Let's talk about language, and let's talk about um, let's talk about curse words that are routinely used now in the public sphere. Um, I'm very sensitive to words personally. I can't stand being yeah. cursed at. I don't like when other people curse at other people in front of me. I don't like the fact that I have to watch a television show now and see the F word used gratuitously. I don't like it. I feel like it's a vulgarity and it demeans the culture. I think Mm -hmm. that I'm right that empirically, if you were to count the amount of times that people in the public sphere now say F you on the road or in in a store where they tell people to F off all the time, that that kind mm-hmm. of behavior in public is much more prevalent than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. I believe I'm right. And I think if we mm-hmm. were to count the amount of incidents in the real world where these bad words are used with all their negative mood connotations and nastiness and anger, I would be right. And to me, that would mean that the world was a little bit kinder place when those words were not used in the public sphere as much as they are now. What do you think? Yeah. So we have uh, three ways of addressing this problem, which is, which is a big one for the project that we, we're trying to do here. So the first is, um, uh, like you're pointing out, people disagree on a lot of things uh, about what's good and what's bad. So there are other people who, who would feel like, I don't really care about curse words. Um, it doesn't matter to me. Um, and, and there are many issues like this, like things like marriage or abortion or the way people dress. Um, rather than trying to solve the deep philosophical question of, well, what is moral and what isn't, we set aside any issue where we thought there was going to be reasonable disagreement about what direction would be positive and what direction would be negative. So what we were looking at is things like, do you think people are as honest as they used to be or not? Um, you know, do people treat you with respect all day yesterday? Things where no reasonable person would disagree 
about which direction is good and which direction is bad. Mm, okay. This also turns out to be mainly what people mean when they say that morality has declined. So when you ask them, well, what did you mean when you said that? Their first answers are things like, you know, our government and business leaders lie to us. People don't treat each other with as much respect. Parents don't instill values in their children. It's much further down on the list where you see things like abortion and drugs and swear words on TV. The, the third piece of the data that I have for you is we actually have some data collected over time where people are asked, uh, how often do you encounter incivility at work? And people were asked to remember back to the, the last week and count up the instances. And I think we have about 15 years of data on this question, and it's flat over time. So even though people may sometimes use different words, um, mm -hmm. the instances with which people were uncivil to one another, as best data that, that we have suggests that it's the same today as it was uh, even a decade ago. So it may seem harsher to me because I feel like the confrontation is harsher. But you're saying that the incidence of it is about the same. Exactly. And, uh, and so these kinds of standards can change over time. And, and I think what happens is there's always a fringe of people doing the thing, uh, you know, on, on the edge, basically. So mm -hmm. there's always whatever the standard is for how you dress, there's always people who are going to push that. Uh, and even as the standard changes, we probably have the same proportion of people who are pushing it. So, for instance, uh, I saw one survey from the 1950s asking, like, do you think it's OK to wear Bermuda shorts in public? And a majority of people say, no, uh, oh, wow. we think this is a really bad thing. Wow. And so back then, walking around in Bermuda shorts, uh, people would, would have thought like, oh, that person is acting in a pretty risque way. And so even as you know, the hemlines of our shorts uh, uh, go northward, right. there's right. maybe the same proportion of people who are wearing the clothes that other people say, oh, that's risque. It's just that the line changes over time. The line does change. So, and it's in that line we're chatting with Adam Mastruani that maybe it's in that line that maybe older people are hearkening back to a time where, yeah, Bermuda shorts were the most risque thing you could do, and you could yeah. argue about that, yeah. but you didn't see somebody's puppet, right? You didn't see them right off of the thing. And so, <laughs> um, and yeah, so, okay. So I think that yeah, there is, I think, I think one, there is something to the fact that as society's mores have changed over time, that there is also some rationality to the fact that because the line has changed, some people think that that nostalgic time was a more civilized or more elegant or more whatever you want to say positive about that time. Yeah, though even when you. Um leave out any possibility of that of that happening, people still make this mistake. So we have some other data where um, there's the, this big meta-analysis, just a bunch of studies put together on um, how people cooperate in economic games in the lab. Game is a strong word for these. Basically, you come into the lab and you're put in a situation where you can make a greedy choice or a generous choice, mm. and the greedy choice gets you more money and the generous choice gets you less money. And there's someone else playing with you and you can choose to get them more money or not. And they play this in a bunch of different ways. And they've been doing these studies since 1956. And so some researchers looked from 1956 to 2017, just how likely were people to choose the generous option when they were brought into this lab and, and, and they had to choose you know, how to treat a stranger. What they thought was going to happen is that they would find that people are less likely to cooperate today than they were a generation ago. In fact, they found the opposite. So people were about 10 percentage points more likely to choose the generous option than the greedy one. And so what we did is we took those results and we got a new set of participants and we said, okay, here's the kind of situations people were put in in the lab. They can be greedy, they can be generous, they make more money if they're greedy. 
Um, we have data going back to 1956 as to the rate at which people do this up to 2017. Could you please estimate the rate, like how that's changed over time? And by the way, we will pay you extra money if you get this right. And even when we, we did that, people thought that cooperation rates had gone down by 10 percentage points when, in fact, they've gone up by about 10 percentage points. So even when you make the question really specific, when you know the right answer and when you pay people to get the answer right, you still see this perception that people are less good to one another in their everyday lives, even when in that case we know that the answer is that they aren't. All right. That's good to know, Anna Mastriani. That's very good to know. So basically the world's a better place than we tend to think it is. And on that note, I want to thank you for coming on today. That's a good that's a good message for us. It's a good message. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure. We're going to be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Stay tuned. You're listening to WICC. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 